0: Hi, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Word Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma. And this is our podcast, but this is also our Christmas Advent series called The Promised King. This time of year, I love for the fact that people all over the United States, as a matter of fact, all over the world are singing praises to my king, maybe he's your king, but this time they may not even know they're doing it, but they're worshiping the Savior. This time of year, we're going to do a series on Advent as we celebrate the coming King. I hope you enjoy this series. Tune in over the next several weeks as we talk about the promised King. John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, then continue into chapter 2 and verses 1 through 6. So let's go ahead and read all of that together. And then I'm going to answer or point to three things. But first, let's read. Verse 5, 1 John chapter 1. This is the message, which is also what we open the service with today. We have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. At all. Very important. Two words. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But... We walk in the light as He is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all. Very good word. Sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all. Another definitive word unrighteousness verse 10 if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us continuing on into chapter 2 my little children I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin but if anyone does sin we have an advocate with the father Jesus Christ the righteous he is a big word propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world definitive words in here. There's a lot of all, everyone. There's also some harsher words like liar. Phrases like the truth is not in you or him. These are sometimes hard things to hear. Especially when I was looking at this, I was trying to read it as how does this apply to me and all I kept hearing was you're a liar. You're a liar. So in looking at the why that leads to the how. I'm going to bring out some news for you today. Three pieces of news. Now the first is good news. How many of you like good news? Right? Second is bad news. So we're going to get the good news before we get the bad news. And then we're going to get some awesome. We're going to get the best news. So yes, I'm going to give you good news. I'm going to give you bad news. But I'm going to end the whole thing today with the best news. So we can walk out of here going, poo right? Yippee, skippee, or whatever. So let's start with the good news. Are you ready for the good news? Are you ready? Have I depressed you all too much yet? So let's turn this around. The good news is God is holy. That's good news. God is holy. And we're going to see this come together through these scriptures that I've opened up to you, starting in verse 5 when it says, God is light. And this is a message that brings joy. We should find joy and excitement and this thrill that comes from knowing that God is light because this understanding that God is light, it's this thing that leads us to joy. How? Why? Why? Because all of a sudden, looking at God being light, the focus is no longer on ourselves and what we want. It begins to focus on who God is, and it starts with joy seeing God this way, who He is. So how is this good news? For if God is light, this means He is the source of pure life. He is the source of the purest form of life that he is wanting us to seek after, to obtain, to get near, to be part of. As a matter of fact, if he's the source of pure life, then he's also perfect goodness. And knowing if he's pure life and if he's perfect goodness and he wants to restore communion and fellowship with us, with me to him, then I ought to find myself in perfect joy. I ought to find this joy in him. And this is good news. Amen? Going back to Genesis 1, right at the very beginning, we know that life begins with light. It's the first thing God created. And then in John, don't be confused with First John, but the first First John, the John John, 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 Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 4, talking about Jesus, he says, In him was life, listen, and the life was the light. Of men. And announcing the coming of Jesus. John announces that light has come. and God again being the source of perfect goodness. That means he never does anything wrong. He is perfect. And if God is never doing anything wrong. And if he is perfect. He never has to worry about messing things up. Now, I I don't know about you, but when Dustin drowned in Beaver Lake, for a fleeting moment I thought he screwed up, not Dustin, God. When we see people lose their lives prematurely or when we go through things in our lives that don't seem to align with perfection as we would think they should be, oftentimes we point our fingers at God and say, God, why did you do this to me but if God is the source of light and he's perfect goodness therefore he is perfect he doesn't mess things up as a matter of fact if he's the source of life John is saying here that in him there is no darkness means there's also no evil in him whatsoever there's no darkness. There's no evil. He's perfect. He's the source of light. I, I get this vision, this, 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 this picture of, of walking uh, into heaven or, or getting close to the throne room and, and, and maybe even, not even getting close, let's back up just a little bit. Let's go back maybe a million or two miles and and being drawn like a bug to a zapper, I see the light in the distance and it's God and He's drawing me unto Him by His light. I, I can only imagine that all of heaven is illuminated by one source of light. The jewels that are adorning all over heaven are only seen because of the light of God. As a matter of fact, when we go back to look at Lucifer, the Bible talks about him being adorned with jewels from top and bottom. And none of Lucifer's glory, none of his beauty would even be shed or known if it wasn't for the light of God. He is good in every way. There is no evil in him. So as I find myself approaching the throne room of God, I can only imagine that all I can Take in even with my eyes shut is the glory, the light, the brilliance, the majesty of this perfect source of goodness and light. There is no dark side. No shade of darkness whatsoever. And this is good news for us. This is great grounds for joy. Joy. He is, think about this, ruling the world outside of darkness. Darkness is not influencing anything about him or his decisions. We occupy a world with darkness all around. Would you agree with that? And it influences our decisions on a daily basis, where we let our children go, who we let our kids hang out with, whether we turn down that dark alley or not, whether we participate in that movie or this movie, whether we exchange whatever with this person or that person. Darkness is influencing our decisions, but there is no amount of darkness that influences the ruling power of who God is. And in in that, I do find great joy. And so if He's ruling this world outside of darkness, if He is the source of everything perfect and good, we also can find from verse 9 that just skipping, don't even mention verse 9 for a minute, but we can just tell from what God's Word says that God is faithful and God is just. Much better than I am by unmeasurable differences. What if we couldn't trust God? What if we couldn't trust his character? What if we was, what if he was unjust? Well, really the good news here is that he is holy. He is unlike anyone or anything else. Because He is holy, He is perfectly faithful. He is perfectly just. He is perfectly trustworthy. Now, think about man, humans, us. A husband, a wife, a father, a mother, a brother, an aunt, an uncle friend. They may have left you. Spouse divorced you. A parent abandoned you. Man's out for their own gain. Man cheats are unreliable. Man is absolutely unfaithful. But God would never be any of that. He is perfectly faithful. Psalm 711 says, God is a righteous judge and A God who feels indignation every day. So if He's perfectly faithful and perfectly just and He's truthful and He's there in every capacity He is also there as a perfect judge. So the good news as our judge as our source of light and life and hope and joy, God is holy. Now the bad news. We are sinners. Not me. I don't think anyone in here would disagree with the bad news. Even Ellie is a sinner already. She knows how to manipulate and get what she wants. We are sinners. When we look through this passage of Scripture that I opened today with, we can find nine times in our text that John mentions sin. This is more than once per verse. The problem here isn't that we sin sometimes. I'm just getting real. And I'm not pointing fingers at anyone if I'm not pointing fingers at me. It's not that we sin sometimes, it's that we sin all the time. Now, I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, I would hope none of us in here are murderers, right? Not talking about thieving, you know, stealing, things like that. Now, the, I hate to tell you this, but Jesus said, Jesus said that if you have hate towards your brother, you've committed murder. Jesus said that if you, if you look at a woman, we could add a man to this if you're the opposite. If you're a woman looking at a man or a man looking at a woman. I've got to be careful here. If you lust after someone, you've committed adultery. So I, I, I'd venture to say, according to Jesus' standards, every one of us in here is a murderer and a thief. And an adulterer. I didn't mean thief. But... Is a solution. But we don't sin sometimes. We unfortunately sin all the time. Now, a few weeks ago, I talked about at some point, maybe we'd get to a place where sin isn't an issue with us. But we are so much like Christ. We are so much within His presence. We are so much pursuing Him that sin just doesn't happen. But sin's there. Verses 8 and 10... If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So the continued problem is, if we say we don't sin, we lie. We're making God out to be a liar, and this is blasphemy. I I know you all well enough to know, I don't think anyone in here is having a problem with lying about sin. I think we all deal with our things and we're close enough and we're open enough and we're humble enough to say I sin you see we all have a bent towards sin or disobeying God let me let me define sin let me make this even more difficult aren't you glad I'm giving you an uplifting and encouraging word today listen if we don't get real sometimes we can't get right that's a profound statement right there but let's just define sin so that I can broaden the spoke and uh, the scope and make you all feel worse than I've already made you feel. Can I do that for just a minute longer? Come on, smile, work with me just a little bit. The definition of sin, according to 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, is defined in one word as lawlessness. Let me read that to you. John 1 John 3 4 says everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Semicolon. Sin is lawlessness. So when we think, desire, or act in a way that is contrary to what God's Word tells us to, we sin. Even if we fail to think or desire or to act for what God wants us to do, we sin. So it's not just lying, cheating, That's sin. It's as simple as doing things contrary to what God asks us to do. And thinking opposite of what he wants us to think. So let me broaden this a little bit more. What does God say or who does God say you are? And what do you tell yourself you are? And if they are contrary to each other. When God says You're amazing and you're His. And you say, I'm terrible, I'm nothing, and I can't do anything. You're sinning. When God says, you're the head and not the tail, and you say, I can't do anything, I can't accomplish anything, I'm worthless, I'm pitiful, I'm powerless, God is saying, you are powerful and amazing, and in doing the things that you're doing and saying the things that you're saying, you're contrary to His Word, and it's the same as sin. Now, I think it's safe to say, and I mentioned it earlier, every one of us in here would say, "Mm -hmm, I sin. Yes, I've sinned. But do we stop and actually feel the weight of the reality of our sin? Do we actually stop and get real with how or what our sin is? The weight of our sin is pretty heavy when we look at how bad it could be in light of how holy God is. Put these two pieces of news together and you have a massive problem. Not just for us, but also for God. You see, God is holy. God is good. God is faithful. God is perfect. God is just. And most of the times we are opposite. We are sinners, unfaithful. We're prone to evil. And as a result, we deserve his judgment. We deserve the just judgment due sin before a holy God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Now, I think I'm right in this thought. We love the idea of God's justice until we realize his justice means our condemnation. It's okay when that person flies by us, even though we were speeding, and they get pulled over by the police and we get to keep on going. <laughs> but regardless of how we word it, think of it, pose it, we are guilty before a holy God. And since God is love, can't he just forgive us our sins? Once we say that, it shows that we don't really understand the holiness of God. Please stick with me to the end. Don't tune me out yet. Because this next phrase can hurt. God cannot simply overlook our sins. If he did, he would not be just. Remember, he's perfect. His justice, him being judge, is perfect always. See, God can't overlook sin because our sin and His forgiveness threaten His holiness. So there's a little bit of a, a, a tension that we see in this scenario. And, and it goes back, we can look at 2 Samuel chapter 12. David has already sinned with Bathsheba where he has committed adultery with her and she's become pregnant. So she brings Uriah, her husband, in to out of the battlefield to hopefully... Do his manly duties to say that, no, he's the one that got her pregnant. Trying to cover up his sin. I think, again, oftentimes if given the opportunity to cover up our sins, we would. Nathan the prophet comes to David and he says, God knows. As a matter of fact, I know exactly what's happened. David repents. David loses his first son, which is a type and shadow of what Jesus must do to, to save us from our sins. But Gia, David in this moment, without a true sacrifice, is completely forgiven of his sin. But how can a holy God show his love to sinners when they are justly due his wrath? Remember, this is the bad news. I remember, we're going to come out of this. How can God be just and kind to us? As a sinner, how many of us are actually losing sleep at night? Because God is being so kind to sinners. We actually point the finger at God and say, how can you tell us what's right and wrong? This is a phrase that I think we've all said, or at least heard said, how can you let people go to hell I thought you loved people. Here's the deal because he loves, because he's pure, because he's holy and righteous and just he can't ignore and overlook. See to look at this question how can you be just and let sinners well back up the question how can you let people go to hell? The real question, according to the Bible, is how can you be just and let sinners into heaven? One is us-centered. How can you let people go to hell? The other is God-centered. How can you let just or how can you let sinners into heaven? How can God be just and loving towards sinners at the same time? There is no amount of good we can do before God to make ourselves right in the eyes in His eyes on our own. And as a good, just judge, God can't just overlook sin. Good news, God is holy. Bad news, we are sinners. But here comes the best news. The best news. Jesus died for God. Well, did I say that right? Don't you mean Jesus died for me? Ultimately, yes, but Jesus died for God. I didn't misspeak here before we think about us let's think about God many Christians today never realize that Jesus's death wasn't just for us but it was for God first we aren't the center of the universe God is remember he's the source he's the light it all starts with God well how first John 2 2 he is the propitiation speaking of Jesus of our sins now How many of us in here would agree we don't have a clue what that word means? Propitiation. I've never heard that word before. I'm going to be willing to bet that you will not hear that word again this week. And you will probably never read that word in anything moving forward except in the Bible. This word propitiation just refers to a sacrifice that satisfies wrath. So the we deserve a just and loving and holy God... A perfect God can't overlook sin. We deserve His wrath. But Jesus is the sacrifice that satisfies His wrath. Jesus is the propitiation for our sins. The Old Testament, when God's people deserved judgment for sins, they offered sacrifices. That's propitiation. A symbol that the the penalty for sin, which was death, had been paid. As a result, God's wrath was satisfied and his people were spared. Now in the New Testament, those sacrifices were not enough. God solved this problem by sending his son. That very first verse in 1 John chapter 2, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, well that was weird, but, If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, the promised Son who never sinned. He did not deserve the penalty, which made him uniquely qualified to settle the judgment of God. This is why he died. First and foremost, for the glory of God. As a matter of fact, John wrote earlier in his gospel, just before Jesus goes to the cross, he's quoting Jesus when Jesus says in John twelve twenty seven and 28, Now, is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. What drove Jesus to the cross? Oftentimes my sin. No. The glory of the Father. Romans chapter 3 verse 25. When God put forward as a... Whom God put forward as a... There's this word again. Propitiation. Which means a sacrifice that satisfies wrath. When God put forward as a sacrifice that satisfies wrath by His blood... To be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. Why did Jesus offer Himself as a sacrifice? To show the righteousness of God. So that God might be just. The justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus died, in fact, to show that God is holy. God is perfect. God is righteous. He is just. He is good and loving. Jesus died to ratify the wrath of God due sinners to show God's love for sinners. We have to have a God-centered view of the cross. Remember it's not about me, it's about God. It is a declaration of the word that God is holy, that his love is holy and that his wrath is holy and his just is holy and his mercy is holy. He saw nothing good in you and that's why he went to the cross. Sometimes we think, uh, there's a little bit, there's an inkling, maybe if there's one little bit of me that's worth saving, he would save me. No, he saw nothing good in me, Jeff Dixon, to save. He had to go on the cross to save me. The cross isn't intended, us for, uh, intended for us to think highly of ourselves. It is intended for us to think highly of God. The cross isn't a display of our value, but of God's value Look at the cross and see God is high and holy, just and righteous, rightly full of wrath towards sin and mercifully full of love towards the sinner. You think this whole morning I've been beating you up? No, I've been beating the sin up. All along wanting you to realize we're going to come to a point today that he loves you. The Christian. The lover of him he has wrath towards sin but is mercifully full of love towards the sinner all at the same time for every Christian and that's the best news so in light of this best news I want to walk us through two levels of encouragement level one walk in the light walk in the light of God verse 6 in John 1st John chapter 1 said if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth verse 7 but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another so walking in the light is walking with him and walking with one another walking with him and walking with one another that's this community that we have here as we walk together we're walking with him we're walking in light. And remember, light is life, and life is goodness, and this goodness is joy. Live the good life. What is the good life? You see, the problem is we think the good life is bigger houses, nicer cars, more money, greater position. Those are great. Those are. I'm, I'm not condemning. I, I am always wanting a nicer car. I'm always wanting to fix up my house. I'm always wanting more, but that's not the good life. The good life is fellowship with God. And if we have true fellowship with God, what compares with that? I want you to love life with God. How do we get there? A couple points. Three of them. Let's confess our sin honestly. We would admit to sinning but we find ways to soften to our sin, to rationalize it. It was just a quick, impure thought. I'm a man; it's natural, it's normal. It's just one website. I didn't have control that it popped up, and I took time looking at it. Gossiping about others. I was just wanting to pray about it. Sometimes we take, uh, we cut corners, take advantage of others. We do what's best for us. Sometimes we just get desensitized to sin by the things that are surrounding us. Well, we, uh, the movies we watch, the books we read. Sometimes we just get dulled to sin. Really, the solution is just to stop. Just stop in our daily lives on a daily, uh, on a daily basis and just ask God, show me what I need to confess. I think oftentimes we have these blanket prayers. God, forgive me of all that I've done wrong. Amen. But he wants us to confess. Now, not, not like, here. Here. Come up here and tell me your greatest, darkest sin. So you can be forgiven. No. The Bible does confess your sins one to another. That, you, that they may be forgiven. But really, we just need to be real with ourselves. And confess them before a loving and holy God. Do you spend time, and honest, specific confession of sin. Consistently. Remember, God is light. Light exposes darkness. Don't hide sin, especially from God, who loves you and He wants to cleanse you of it. That's why He sent His Son. So first point, confess sin honestly. Number two, this is huge, receive grace happily. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Don't despair or beat yourself up. Don't be an Eeyore about your sin. It's okay to feel sorry, to hate the sin. But as you run from sin, don't forget you're running to God. He made a way for you to be totally forgiven, totally cleansed, totally set free. And this is how we can be happy. Check this out. It's a man. Maybe it's you. And you've committed whatever sin that you've committed. As little or as big as you can concoct for my story. And you're in a courtroom. And you're sitting at the defendant's table. bench is the judge it's God over at the prosecuting side Satan sitting there in walks your defense attorney and it's Jesus walks in Satan looks over with intimidation oh he's your defense attorney walks up judge looks at Jesus Goes, hey son you know the defense, or the prosecuting attorney has an issue, right? When the judge and the, the defense attorney are, are like, "What's up, son?" Court goes into session. Satan stands up and says, "He's guilty. He's guilty. He's guilty. You did it." Jesus stands up as the defense attorney and he says, But I already paid his time. I already dealt his punishment. Satan stands up and he says, I object! I object! And God looks at him and he says, Overruled. Confess sin honestly. Receive grace happily. Obey the word humbly. Whoever says, I know him, verse 4, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him Truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in Him. Think of it as a holy direction. Not a holy perfection. We're a work in progress. Not a work in completion. One day we will be just like Him. But not today. We're trying to be. We're working towards it. We are becoming more and more like Jesus. Jesus. Hopefully, I am more like Jesus today than I was yesterday. Hopefully, when you first met me, you saw a lesser like Jesus person than you see today. In this direction, we are experiencing God's love. So first encouragement, walk in the light of God. Last encouragement, in light of all of this, witness to the love of God. And verse 2 of chapter 2 of First John, a lot of numbers here. This is the last thing I'm going to share. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. How on earth, if we don't rally together to share what God has done for us, how on earth is the world going to experience this propitiation? So we don't have to use that word with them. Y'all are enlightened to that word. We, we, how on earth are they going to walk in that light if we don't show them? that light. Next year is going to be a fun year as we discover ways as a church, as a community to open up doors and to show the light. Um, One of the things we're going to do this week um, in connection with the sheriff's office is we're going to give out turkeys to people in need. Um, It's going to be kind of fun. We're literally going to go around in patrol cars and pull people over and give them turkeys. So if you get pulled over this week, and you weren't doing nothing wrong. Be nice to the cop he may give you. Or the deputy. He might be giving you a turkey. I'm just saying. And if he doesn't give you a turkey. <laughs> he's probably not going to give you a ticket either. But he might. You never she. You never know. But anyway. Listen. This was a, a deep. Not intended to be a heavy word. It was intended to show you that. Without Jesus. We don't get to walk right. We get to walk right. Amen. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you. Live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. Hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we could use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts. But also in the area of support, if you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at wlmiama.com. That's w l m i a m i. Dot com and click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.